Okay, parents, listen, listen right now. Get close, get close to us. Being trans slaps, it's awesome. It's great. I, I love being trans. The only thing that is hard about being trans are other people. There's nothing about being trans that is bad, right? Like I, if I count the number of happiest days in my life, a lot of them were related to trans milestones. It's so cool to be us. Hey y'all, if you have not listened to part one of the Flint interview, you should not listen to this episode. Hit pause, go listen to the other episode. Then start this one next. It's really a continuation of the previous episode. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham, but you can call me Mac. A couple of announcements I'd like to make. Number one, if you're a first-time listener or if you have found us and have been listening along but you haven't actually gone back and listened to the earlier episodes – you need to pause this episode and go back. There's a method to the madness here. Season one is full of stories from parents just like you, and it really is the best place to begin. Number two, we are actively working on building a community for you. We have a Facebook group and a Discord. The Facebook group is called Camp Wildheart Community, and it is totally private. The Discord server is also private, but requires you to request access via email at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Or the link is also embedded in the Facebook group, but we're trying to keep it all private. Number three, this one is probably the most exciting one. We're doing our very first in-person Camp Wildheart. Wildheart Society has reserved space at Sequest State Park, which is about halfway between Seattle and Portland. It's a family-style camp, so parents, trans kids, and siblings are all welcome, and the Wildheart Society team will be providing a full camp experience complete with programming to create a one-of-a-kind event where families will be able to connect with each other, kids can be 100% themselves, and everybody's going to learn things about themselves that's actually relevant to their lives. Plus, real-life campfires. We'll be roasting marshmallows, singing stupid camp songs, and wading into the wilderness. For more information, go to wildheartsociety.org slash events slash camp. The first TikTok I saw of you, I can still remember it. Well, okay, tell me. You had a backwards cap on and you were getting in your car and you were talking about backwards cap problems. Oh, that's the and first one you ever your saw? Hat. And the bill of your hat hit the back of your car and I was like, I relate to that so much. <laughs> that's Because that has nothing to do with teaching or trans issues, nothing. Yeah, that was just, yeah. I'm glad it reached, it reached through time and space to get to you in the, in the place in which you need it. Yeah. Yeah, I sent that... TikTok to one of my coworkers, um, Karen, who is the therapist at uh, Wild Heart Society, and I was like, "Have you ever seen anything you related to more?" And they were like, "No, this is a, <laughs> this is this is my whole life." Do they have one on kissing other people wearing hats? Because that is what I need. <laughs> okay, so why did you start the social media stuff to begin with? Yeah, so I'm um, not. I was not especially social media literate, right? I had I had an Instagram with like maybe. 100 followers on it, right? Private Instagram. When you're a teacher, you're really cautioned against a social media presence. Um, I think that we have like a longstanding uh, belief that if you're a teacher, then you need to conduct yourself in a certain way in public. Like you need to, um, you can't be seen drinking, 
um, or, you know, it, it participating in like the more illicit part of public life, um, which I think is, I think it's hot nonsense now. I didn't think that when I was 22. When I was 22, I really thought like I was a pinnacle of morality that was going to be representational for my students, right? And like anytime my students see me out in the world, they're going to be like, yeah, like that's, that's the way you have to live and present yourself. And <laughs> uh -huh. I really thought that I had to live like that. And it's exhausting. Like you can't, you can't do that. Um, and there are a lot of fun things I want to do that I need to be okay with students seeing me out in the world, buying beer at Kmart, Kmart, yeah. Kmart. Um, <laughs> and so like, I was really scared of social media for a really long time. And then the, the pandemic hit and all of a sudden this was the way we engaged with each other, right? It was through social media. And I, like many people, went through several transitions during the pandemic. I started the pandemic as a married bisexual woman. And oh. I, I see so you said divorce earlier. And I was like, you and I, we have something in common. I also started the pandemic that way. Yes. And then, you know, you go into it one way and it was like one of those drive through car washes where you just come out the other side. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I figured a lot of stuff out about myself in the middle of the pandemic. And as I was figuring this stuff out, I started to feel more and more isolated, right? And, you know, the pandemic was sort of easing and I, we were going back into classes. And I realized, like, man, like, I'm, I'm trans, right? I realized that about myself. Like, I'm trans. I'm non-binary. Um, and it's like, what was I going to do on the first day of school? When these, these students were coming, I realized my pronouns were going to be different than they were when the kids last saw me. I was going to be using a different name. I was going to be presenting a little bit differently. And the first day of school was just looming, and I was terrified. I was so scared of what it was going to mean for changing the way my students saw me, the way I interacted with staff, um, the way parents dealt with me, because it's already hard enough, right? Being, being a teacher is challenging. Um, and I'm, you know, not to toot my own horn, I was a pretty popular teacher. Like, I got voted for stuff right when they had, like, teacher court for winter formal. We don't do... They don't do that anymore. I used to get voted for stuff or like, you know, I, I read names at graduation, which is a thing that students vote for. So like I, I had a presence on my campus and I didn't want to lose that. I was so scared that my students were going to stop coming to me or, or caring about me or feeling like I could be there for them because I was going to look or, or, or present differently than what they had last seen. And so in that fear, I started spending a lot more time um, trying to find other trans teachers like who else was having experiences like this? Who else knew what to do? What do you, what do you even call a trans teacher? If I'm non-binary and I'm, I'm not using Mrs. or Mr., do I put something in front of my name? Do I just go by my first name? Do I go by, like, what do you do? And so that's what a, did you see, do? see you, I knew you were going to ask. I will tell you momentarily. And so, yeah, I just have to get ready. Um, and so that's when I found TikTok, right? I started finding more teachers who were experiencing this. And I was like, this is great. Like, this is exactly what I was looking for. And so that's why I started making videos about being an, a trans teacher, because I realized that this didn't have to be an isolating experience. I didn't have to feel alone. Um, I just had to look a little bit further than my campus, right, my district. Um, and so to answer your question about what I use, uh, my username. So my, my handle across all platforms is just Flint is fine because that's, I don't put anything in front of it. There's no Mr., no Miss. Some people use Mix, MX, or Teacher, TR. None of it. Just call me Flint. That's it. That's great. The, did you get any... How, how, did, how did it go? <laughs> <laughs> um, it went fine. 
I think that I had built it up to be a bigger problem than it was. Unsurprisingly, from anyone who knows kids, kids don't care. Kids don't care at all. No one is surprised that has children in their life that kids did not seem phased by this at all. Because I, you know, I, I introduced, I had it re rehearsed. I was ready. First day of school, I said, "Hey, um, you might you have this name on your schedule, right?" They had not, had, they were not able to change my name on the schedule before I started. Because if you again know any teachers, you know how heavy the bureaucracy is. My name changed two years ago. They just changed it in like the attendance system. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh my god, it takes forever. And so I told them, I was like, I know that you have this name on your on your roster. I actually use this name. You can call me Flint, right? Just Flint is fine. Um, I use they and them pronouns. That might be the first time that you've ever interacted with someone who uses those pronouns. That's okay. We're going to figure it out. Like, we got lots of time to practice. If you need any, any help, I'm here for you. I'm not going to get mad. If you get it wrong, we're just going to work on it together. And that was it. That was the first day. And, you know, students mess up. It happens all the time. They'll call me ma'am or put... So I'll put Miss in front of my name. That's less common for them to put Miss in front of my name. And it's just a gentle reminder. It's like, hey, just a reminder, I actually use they, them. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they go back to what they were doing and do it better. So for students, they were fine. Students students didn't struggle. Students usually are fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. students, the, the kids are all right, right? Students, for the most part, I can count on one hand questions, students that have had anything other than just sort of light curiosity about, about who I am. Um, that's not necessarily the same for my community as a whole. I think that especially recently, when people in my community started learning that I existed without knowing who I was, so they didn't have an actual interaction with me, I wasn't the teacher of their kids. I was just a trans teacher at that school. That was the problem because then I could be anything that they made up, right? They could picture who I was and who, what I was doing. And they didn't actually have any interactions with me. So I had a handful of parent issues Usually at the very beginning of the school year when um, they're just, you know, operating based, based on fear. But for the most part, any of the real problems that I've had have been with people who are in my community who don't have a connection to my classroom or to my students. They're just, they see me on their periphery and they, they choose fear and they choose anger um, because it's easier than curiosity, right? Which is what we talked about earlier. Did you have to interface with those individuals one of the things that happens a lot for parents this comes up a lot with parents that i work with is what do i say to people when they're outright awful and i don't know them and so i i think you might have some experience with that i do have some experience with this i so. think that um i i have knuckle tattoos that say patience <laughs> I got those in the middle of the pandemic because I needed like a little hot reminder every once in a while. And I think it's, this is not something that you can really ask of, of trans, trans kids, trans, trans kid parents or, right? You can't ask this of anyone. It's a thing that I can do sometimes, but to lead with questions, like when people come out and they're, they're really frustrated about you being alive, right? Or they're, or they're mad just about the concept of trans people. Um, I like to ask questions. I'm like, oh, like where where did you first hear that, right? Like, where did you hear that we were somebody that you should be afraid of, right? Like, oh, like, oh, they're like, oh, well, I don't think these these kids should be playing sports. It's like, oh, interesting. Why? Well, it's not fair. Oh, why do you, why do you think that? Like, what are some reasons why that's a feeling that you have? And it's kind of disarming, right? When when someone is is leading with with anger to be met with curiosity, right? Like real genuine curiosity to really want to know why someone is leading with that fear. 
um, it's disarming because right when you meet them with anger, if you just meet them right where they are and you start to get into this big blow up, right? Like that doesn't, that also puts you in like some danger, which you don't want. And so sometimes questions can be the most disarming, um, gentle way to, to lead someone into understanding. And that's not a 100% effective strategy, right? Like you can tell sometimes when, if someone's just being the worst, then there's no right answer for what to do with that, right? Like I, I try to remove myself from those situations as often as possible to just not be around people like that or to 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 move with people that I trust and and feel good around so that I can be removed from those situations if I need to. But but sometimes leading with that curiosity, right? Asking questions is the best way to to handle that. Because you you asked, do I ever have to deal with people like this? And face to face happens a lot less often. Online, easy. Delete and block. Done. Not worth my time. It is not worth my peace, right? If I, I, I'm not going to sacrifice my joy. I'm not going to sacrifice my peace of mind to educate someone else who's not here to be educated, right? That's not my job. And so delete and block. I don't care. But every once in a while, it is face-to-face, -face, right? Um, school board meetings is a really great example of this, right? Like I'm very active in my community and I go to a lot of school board meetings. I have a lot to say, right? I bet you um, do. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes that's when you you deal with people right up front who are who are being overtly really hateful. Um, and again, assuming that those people have good intentions, which is so hard, so hard to assume they have good intentions. You have to think like, okay, what are they really worried about here? What is what are they what is their fear? What's that fear that's getting to them? And sometimes by asking myself those questions, I'm able to have a little more empathy for them and decide if it's worth my time. But then you have to know how to leave. That happened to me recently where I was having an interaction with a community member where I realized it just wasn't going to be productive, right? We weren't going to learn anything from each other. And so I had to lay it down and be like, hey, it's really nice to meet you. I wish you the best. I'm going to have to end this conversation here. And that's it, right? Like you have to know when to cut your losses because preserving your peace and figuring out how to just move through your life you can't take on every battle. You can't fight everybody. Yeah. That's what I tell parents too, um, is if they can, to, to, to ask questions. Uh -huh. Right? Um, to get curious about it, to see, like, tell me where you got that information. Yeah. And I said, if you can't get your, like, if you're too heated, right, if your emotions are too active, that's not the time to do it. Right? Like, yeah. you don't always have to be the one that does it. Yeah, you don't owe them anything. Um, I think a lot of people assume, especially I think parents of trans kids who are not used to the fight, right? Like I, at this point, am used to the fight. I'm used to figuring out like how to parse out my time. But if you're not used to the fight and this is your first time really being faced with bigotry on a large scale, like you have been fortunate enough for most of your life to not be faced with people like that or for them to just exist on the edge of, of your existence, right? This is your first time. It's hard to tell when is it worth your time. When, when are you actually going to be able to change someone's mind? And when are you just making your own life worse? Because I just can't do it. I've got too many other cool, interesting people to spend time with to waste a lot of time on someone who's, who doesn't want to learn from me. I, I, I've stopped saying that people and feelings are valid, like you are valid. And it's not because those are bad things, right? Like, of course, yeah, you're valid. Love is love. But but also it it lives so much in 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 our world that I just, I need a break. I need a break from love is love. For sure. And I have a lot of things that say love is love on it because for a lot of people in my life, the thing they know about me is that I'm queer. And so it ends up on mugs and on handkerchiefs and on beer cozies. Yeah. 
I have several stickers that aren't on my water bottle that say love is love. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have any on here? I have a bunch on, on here. No, these are all. I have one that has a long Furby on it that says I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, to me, that to me says trans pride more than love is love. Yeah, that totally does. Okay, so you said that you sort of figured some stuff out in the pandemic. Yes. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about your gender journey and like how like you even came to that awareness? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for, for a lot of trans people, we tend to figure out a lot of stuff in hindsight, right? I was a trans kid. I was 100% a trans kid, but that word didn't exist. The word tomboy existed. And so that was the word that we used a lot. But um, yeah, I think about a lot of things in my my early my early life as a child that now read is very trans to me. I cut off all my hair for the first time when I was nine. Um, I got a haircut a lot like the one I have now. For for listeners at home, I have short boy hair. And so <laughs> I, I got that haircut for the first time when I was really, really young. And I, I wore a leather jacket and a white t-shirt tucked into dark blue jeans with a buckle and some boots. I look like Danny Zuko, I guess. It's the best. <laughs> it sounds like and I, I remember very vividly being at like some birthday party in a bounce house and uh, and a kid asking me if I was a boy or a girl and that question just thrilling the hell out of me. I loved being asked that question and I wouldn't tell him. And he, he you know, chased, like the way kids do, chased me around the whole birthday party and wanted to know if I was a boy or a girl. And I was like, I'll never tell, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, I think like, you know, that's the transest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like that, you know, you're you're so excited that finally someone sees you as not a little girl and you know i wouldn't wear dresses and whenever we were playing spice girls i was sporty because that was the boyish one that we had available to us right, right. <laughs> we were all sporty spice <laughs> all of us. and so you know trying when you're when you become a teenager um being a girl seemed so easy for everyone it seemed so effortless like i had stepsisters i mean i'm an only child but i had three stepsisters and they all um, they all seemed to effortlessly grasp femininity. They could, they knew what to wear. They knew what to do with their hair. They knew how to do makeup. And like, I knew all those things on the surface, but I always looked in the mirror and felt like I was doing drag. Something was yeah. wrong. Yeah. I was like, Ooh, this is just yeah. someone imitating a girl, but there was no, there was no words for what I was feeling. Right. I didn't have, I didn't have the language to express that something was a little bit off. And I never had the experience. A lot of trans people or some trans people talk about really feeling like a deep depression or um, or anger or, or feeling like the person that they were looking at was completely wrong and they knew, right? I didn't know. Something was just a little bit off forever. Like you had that little rock in the end of your shoe every single day. And I was just so frustrated that everyone else seemed to understand their circumstances. And I, I felt like I was faking it. And I didn't even know what I was faking. I was faking something. And I thought in my early 20s, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's my sexuality. I'm actually, I'm, yeah, I'm bisexual. And then I came out as a lesbian. And I was like, okay, so this is what was wrong. And the second I was a lesbian and I was divorced, I was like, nah, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually something else, right? And, and I will tell you that one of the reasons why I was able to, to make that determination for myself was because I started to surround myself with other people who were living their truths. They were themselves and um, they were so comfortable in who they were. And a lot of that was in the roller derby community. I'm a roller derby coach. My wife is a roller derby coach. And um, we had a couple of skaters who joined our team and, you know, used they, them pronouns. And I was like, that, that's it. Like, that's who I am. 
And I even I had a couple of non-binary students and they they told me that they were using they them. And I remember thinking like, man, if I was younger, I would do that too. Oh, yeah. Right. Which is the transest thing you could possibly. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, my thir- my 13 year old comes out and they're like, I, I want to use they them. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. It's like you can. You can't. I absolutely can do that. And I was like, well, it's too late. I've already made my decision about who I am. Like we 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 set kids up for that a little bit, right? We tell them that the the linear progression of their life is that they figure things out for themselves in college, right? Like that's the time you figure stuff out. And then when you graduate, you pick your career and that's who you are forever until one day you retire and die. And that's a, you know, it's a really bleak way to look at being alive. Like it's so much more exciting and interesting and dynamic than that, but we never stop growing, right? We never stop figuring out who we are. Um, and the first time I was, I was just she, they for about 24 hours and <laughs> I had my, my she, they period was very, very short. And then I realized like, no, like I am non-binary and trans non-binary and trans mask. This is who I am. And the second I started embracing that part of myself, I just became immediately happier. And that's how I knew that, that I was taking steps to identifying and understanding myself in a way that was accurate, the way that was true. Our stories are so similar. I love it. It sounds like your first indication of your first experience of gender euphoria was when you were nine. Yeah. 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 A, a phrase that like, you know, I'd never heard that before. I would have I would have never been able to experience that. And a lot of things like that. When I cut my hair when I was a little kid and people would mistake, like they'd knock on the door and they'd say like, hey, son, like, where's your where are your parents? You know, that wasn't right, but it felt really good for someone to be confused. <laughs> like, I really, <laughs> I like that confusion, the confusing feeling. Um, yeah. And so that was, that happened really early. And I just felt like that rush of like, yes, I am being seen. Like, this thing is right and real. And so you gained language about it when you started meeting other people who already were like, non-binary like they knew that they were non-binary kind of way late in the game i started to become an advocate for trans students um on a wider scale in my early 20s but even then i really only understood the binary trans world and so that wasn't hitting right like i knew i wasn't a trans man i was like oh well that's not right like that, that that's not what i want or who i am i don't see myself in that and so people would you know sometimes assume that of me and i was like no absolutely not right and i would push back really hard you know sometimes we do that we push back super hard I was like that really, really involved ally for the trans community for a really long time. <laughs> I didn't start understanding until I had language, until I had that language. And that was maybe in my late, my late 20s, my early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back in time in your life to when you were trying to girl, um, because the, that is a thousand percent me. Um, mm-hmm. Did you... One thing that parents often say, and like they get confused about, right, is like, okay, so... When they were really little, they loved the princess dresses or they like did the whole like super girly whatever essentially got purchased for them. And then there maybe was a period of tomboy. And then right before things really get interesting, um, there's like a swing back to I'm really going to give this girl thing a shot. Yeah. Well, you know what your expectations are, right? Like, even if your parents don't say it. Because a lot of parents, I'm sure, come into this and they're like, well, I didn't tell them to be this way, right? I didn't force I didn't force gender on my kid. And it's like the world your kid is in is forcing gender on your kids, right? Like I looked around and knew exactly what was expected of me. And the little ways that we talk about kids, right? You know, you, you tag along to a baby shower and someone says, it'll be you one day, right? You go to a wedding and someone puts you in a little dress that looks just like the, the 
bridal gown and they throw you a bouquet and they're like, this will be you soon. You'll soon, you'll be married and you'll have babies and you'll wear dresses. Um, every movie that you watch, all of the expectations that are put upon you by every teacher, um, every parent of every friend, right, assumes that they know who you are. And so I knew exactly what the expectations were. I knew what I needed to look like and sound like and act like to make other people around me more comfortable. Not even just happy, right? Like I never had any indication that my dad, my, my mom died when I was in high school. And so it was, it was just me and my dad. I never had any indication that my dad was going to be happier if I was girlier. Um, that's not who he is. My dad is hugely supportive, really wonderful, like old school 70s liberal um, guy. Love him. He also didn't push back against any of these systems. He didn't create space for me to, to go in the other direction because he didn't know he needed to or what that would look like, right? Which I do not fault him for at all. Um, but yeah, I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to act this way and dress this way. And so I tried really, really, really hard. I really wanted to be the girl that everyone told me I was. And I was just bad at it. I was so bad at it. <laughs> I was too. You're not alone. I was so bad at it. Yeah, a, a lot of big sweatshirts. <laughs> yeah. Man, I had lived in, in the same pair of like disgusting jeans and giant sweatshirt. Um, and like trying really hard to do eye makeup like Avril Lavigne because that was that was the best version of girl that I could I could picture for myself. I understand that. Um, so can I ask when you were trying to be when you were trying mm -hmm. um, or even when you maybe weren't trying as hard, but like you just knew the expectation mm -hmm. and knew that you weren't good at meeting it um, emotionally. What was that like for you? Well. Emotionally exhausting, I guess, is the only way that I can describe it, right? Like, and, and there are a lot of things that were happening in my life during that time that were really hard to, to deal with. I think sometimes when you are experiencing other traumas, like I had a lot of really hard nonsense that was happening to me in my, my late teens and into my early adulthood. And when you're dealing with that, you stop thinking about self-actualization, right? Like, or how do I feel in my body? Or is this gender the right one for me, right? I was too busy just surviving high school um, and trying to get to college. And so I think I, I was distracted and exhausted. And it was a little thing that I was trying to do that I didn't have, I didn't give space for. I didn't give time to think about why I was doing any of it. And so, yeah, I guess exhaustion is the only, the only answer here. It didn't feel good. It didn't feel the way I, I thought that other people were experiencing it. And like I said, like with my sisters, it seemed so effortless that they were just girls um, and it just happened. It just came to them and they wanted, the feelings they wanted were the ones that they were getting. I always felt just a little bit wrong. And so I expressed that a lot by listening to punk music. <laughs> and your dad was a 70s liberal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... Uh, that is not my experience. My dad was a minister. Uh, so I'm curious for you, like, I hear like there was a lot of other things happening in your life that shaped that time. I'm so curious about what your dad did or didn't do. Uh, like, I hear you say, like, he didn't push back against the system. Um, but what did he what did he do that sort of gave you permission to be your whole like as much of your whole self as you were capable of at that point? Um, I think freedom, I guess. Uh, my dad never pushed back against any of the things that I did. 
um, when I cut my hair right when I was a kid or when I wanted to buy certain clothes. Like my dad never actively contributed to that trauma, I guess, which is, mm. you know, more than a lot of trans people can say. And I think, you know, this goes back to what we're talking about with school counselors earlier, not knowing what they don't know. My dad didn't know what he didn't know, what he didn't, that, that grammar, right? But he, he was doing his best with what he had. But one of the problems is he didn't have all of the available information. Like he, he was his version of progressive. I knew that gay men existed, right? I had gay men in my life. My, my, my dad had friends who were gay men. Um, and, you know, I had stories about when my parents were first together and they went to clubs and I live in Orange County in Laguna Beach, which was like the hub for, for queer nightlife in the 70s and is now just where you get overpriced paintings of the ocean. Um, <laughs> but for a long time, that was like, that was it for queer culture. And so like I knew about that. I knew that they existed. I knew that LGBT people were there. I just knew I wasn't a gay man. And so that didn't help me. I didn't know about lesbians. <laughs> I didn't know about trans people. And so that wasn't an option. I think that um, the best thing that, that my dad could have done, which again, I think is totally unfair to go back and, and say this is what my dad could have done because I am so thankful for for the life that he made for me. But um, just exploring all the different ways to be alive and, and making sure that it was really explicitly obvious that those things were going to be okay if I chose to explore them because he didn't condemn any of it. But I, it also meant that we just, we never got around to making sure that I knew that the other other options were out there and that I that I could be those things too because I a lot of times we learn just via observation right I I'm going to pivot away from talking about myself for just one second to talk about a student that came in I don't know seven years ago a long time ago a student came into my my room that I'd never met before during break right and she wanders in and she's really upset because she wants to I think this was right before right before winter break so around this time she wanted to come out to her parents um, and tell them that she was gay, but she was really worried they were going to take it poorly. And I asked why, and she said that she had just never heard anything about the queer community from her parents, and so she was so scared that it was going to be negative because they had, had said nothing. You know, she'd gotten the same message that everyone else had gotten, like you are going to marry a boy and you were going to have babies, because she had been dragged along to gender reveal parties and weddings and. Those expectations just existed because she lived in that world and nobody had ever told her that it was going to be okay also if she didn't fit those expectations. Um, and so I think that's the only thing that I, that would have made me more comfortable earlier is if I'd had information, which again in, in the late 90s didn't exist, right? Or at least didn't exist in, in small town suburban world that, that I was in. Yeah, I like to talk to parents a lot about because sometimes parents will find out before their kids come out, uh -huh. right? And then I'll get the call. Oh, uh, okay, we just found out that this is about the show. We don't know what to do. Um, and I tell them to first look at the culture of like what they can talk about and what they do talk about in their homes. Uh -huh. um, and to create and in, like work on creating an environment where it's safe to talk about all the things. Don't just all of a sudden start talking about queer things, but all the things include the queer things but like know what's going on and if you sit around the dinner table and talk about like current events talk about what's happening in the queer community right like that's that's a thing that you can just start to bring in and is it safe for them to talk about anything any anything if they bring up something that that is you know a touchy subject for you or that um 
that is hard to talk about. Like, how do you, how do you handle that as a parent, right? Like if, if your kid feels just in general that they can come to you with stuff that is uncomfortable or hard to talk about, and you've created a space in which they feel um, safe to bring, to bring up those touchy subjects, then you're more likely to, to hear from them about personal gender journey stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A thousand percent. Um, did people see gender on you and name it as sexuality? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was a big old lesbian the whole time I was in school. Like that got projected on me constantly. And that was the that was it. That was gender, right? Gender was just sexuality. And that was one of the one of the other reasons why it took me so long to understand myself is that the first time I heard the word lesbian was it it was used against me. Um, because they read gender on me or they read something queer and they were like, this is a weapon and I'm going to use this as a weapon against you. And so one of the reasons why my dad was stunned, right? I, I can, you can see me because we're having a conversation right now. Um, I look gay. Like, <laughs> I just, I have looked like this forever. Um, this is not new, right? This isn't a new experience. I have always kind of been, you can read queer in, in a lot of the way that I, I moved through the world. And my dad was still stunned. When I came out to him, um, which is crazy to think about that, right? Like I'm in, I'm in a flannel, right? Like, like he's, he's like, really, you, you? And it's because when I was younger, I came home in tears because somebody had called me a lesbian on the school bus, and I was so, so I worked so hard against it. I was like, I can't believe someone would say something so untrue and so terrible because I knew it was a slur. I knew it was bad before I knew what it meant. Like I knew it was a thing that I shouldn't want. I knew it was a thing that I should push back against before I even had a chance to start to explore what it could possibly mean for me. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. Um, very similar. And the other the reason I bring that up, too, is because parents will say to me often, we were expecting gay. We weren't ready for this. Yeah. Or we never and this never even occurred to us. And so I think it's one of those things where for parents, I think about like, well, how much relearning do they have to do also? I mean, a thousand percent, right? But um, I think a good question for parents to ask themselves and for people in general just to ask themselves is like, what am I applying to the meaning of how anybody looks, right? What am I assuming about people? What am I assuming about my kid? And again, we're back to curiosity. It, it, it all leads back to curiosity. It all leads back to this build-a-baby concept too, right? Like I, you were constructing your own version of who your kid is before they have a chance to tell you, right? We have already read onto a baby a lot about who that baby is going to be. Before they're even born. Yeah. That 20-week ultrasound, you get the, oh, that's a girl. And all of a sudden, like, brains just start to take off with stories and narratives about what this kid's life is going to be like and what the parent's life is going to be like parenting this little girl. And that's what parents end up grieving is the law is the death of that dream. It's not, there's, there's nothing about their, their kid is more themselves than they've ever been. And parents are grieving and what they grieve is the, is the loss of, of that. They're missing a story. Right. They've built this story. And I and I think that, you know, if we if we decide to project curiosity back on them too, oh, you seem like you, you've had a moment. I did just have a moment. Okay. What what's tell me your moment? You said they're missing the story. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know from uh being a human, um, that we're wired for story, like it's 
in us 100%. Our brains are meaning-making machines. That's what they do. They're wrong a lot of time, but that's what they try and do. And I know that when we are without a story, we fill in the blanks, mm-hmm. right? And most of us fill in the blanks with terrible shit. I just thinking about that, like how important it is to be queer publicly and for families to have stories that they can fill in that are not bad stories. I love that because I think you're right. I think that, you know, because if we have just, if we decide to be curious about the parents that are sad to have a trans child, right? If we are curious about them, if we can understand that what they are mourning is that story, right? They've built this story, they're mourning the story. Um, and we can have empathy and understand that, that story comes from a place of love and excitement and joy, right? You find out you're pregnant, you're having this baby, you get to imagine this life that they're going to have, and you're so excited to have that life with them. And so we end up, again, building the story of what that's going to be like. And then that story gets interrupted by something unexpected, in this case, gender, right? Like the gender is different than the narrative that you've built, because that's also gender is one of the first things we learn about a baby, or we think we learn about a baby, right, really early on. And so we build a narrative based on that. And then all of a sudden our our narrative structure crumbles. And if we only have, I think you're right, if we only have sad endings to that story available to us because our kid is trans, we only know sad trans stories. The thing that we're most terrified of is like, oh my God, my kid is gonna have a sad ending, which is so objectively untrue, right? It doesn't, it's not. Yeah, but that is, I hear that from parents all the time. I'm terrified about what their life is gonna be like. Right. And I think that's even one of the questions I wrote out when I was when we were talking thinking about talking to you is like essentially like, how can we tell parents that you're we're okay? <laughs> I am gonna okay, parents, listen, listen right now. Get close. Get close to us. Being trans slaps. It's awesome. <laughs> it's great. I I don't regret I don't feel any shame or anger or anything about I love being trans. The only thing that is hard about being trans are other people. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing about being trans that is bad, right? Like I, if I count the number of happiest days in my life, a lot of them were related to trans milestones and, and, and learning more about myself. It's so exciting to be trans, to have trans friends and to be married to another trans person and, when I had top surgery and I woke up the next morning and I suddenly looked the way I always thought that I did. And I'm just, I wept like joyful weeping um, because it's so, it's so cool to be us. Like we are having a great, we can, we have a great time. We really do. I love being trans. And so there's the worry, right? That the fear that we have that, you know, this is going to be a sad ending for our kids. Like the number one way we can keep that from happening is being good for them, right? If we're going back to that data, which you know I love that data. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that Teacher, data. Yeah. If we look at the data, the kids that succeed, the one, and by succeed, of course, I mean have fulfilled, happy, energized lives. Um, the number one indicator that that's going to happen is do they have a supportive family? Yep. That's it. Doesn't matter who their friends are or, or whatever. If they at least have a home they can go to where they know their parent loves them no matter what, everything else is a wash, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, you can be, you know, you can make as many mistakes. You can 
have the hardest time figuring this out, but if you at your core love your kid and support who they are, you are already setting them up for a good life. That is what your dad did beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun to watch them try, too. I love watching parents try. I think that is the sweetest. It is the sweetest moment to 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 go in because I went to my wife's family for Christmas this year. We we um we drove to Idaho. Thanks Southwest for letting us drive to Idaho. We drove to Idaho and then drove back. Um, I got two pronoun pins from my wife's family, um, and rainbow dish towels and a rainbow um, uh, apron, and I will treasure these things for the rest of my life because it's a signal, right? It was a signal from this family that that they are trying, that they're doing their best to understand their kids. And I think that's just so wonderful, so sweet. That is so wonderful. It really is. Thank you so much. Of course. I have loved every second of this, and I sincerely hope that um, we can do it again. Absolutely. All right. Um, Thank you so, so, so much for, one, doing this, and two, your TikToks are fantastic. Thank and you. I didn't even give you a chance to talk about your own podcast. Talk about your own podcast real fast. Okay. I was going to say, we got to at least plug on the way out, right? Like yeah. there are two, there are two yeah. things. So one, I do have my own podcast. I do it with another teacher. We had just, we just got off the ground. We have one episode right now. It's called Two Trans Teachers. It's me and another teacher from Los Angeles. Um, their name is Sky. And so, yes, please go listen to our one episode. The problem is we, we we recorded that one episode and we the next week we're set up to record two more. And then we both got put on Fox News and needed a couple of weeks to recover from that. And so we are going back into recording this week. So there'll be more episodes out soon. Yeah. So we're going to talk specifically about our experiences being trans teachers. We talk a lot about trans kids, right, which you do, which is wonderful. Um, but also I think uh, we should learn more about what it's like to be in education as a trans person because it's a very unique experience. Um, we got a lot of stories. So when when you come back on the podcast, yes, maybe maybe Sky can come too. I would love that. And then yeah, if you want to find me out in, um, on the internet, you can find me at Just Flint is Fine um, on TikTok and Instagram. My Instagram is private, but if you look cool, I will accept you into the fold. So. I love your content. So I Thank you. will be tagging it and we'll put it in the show notes. Everybody will be able to find you. All right. Well, thanks, friend. Appreciate of course. You. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to be back. Thanks for joining us for camp today. We hope that this conversation with Flint has provided you with valuable insights and tools to create a safe and supportive space for your trans kids and the trans adults they need in their lives to show them that they will be absolutely fine and that what they are experiencing is absolutely normal. If you have questions or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're on Facebook as Wild Heart Society, as well as we have our private group, Camp Wild Heart Community. We're on Instagram as wild.heart.society, and you can email us directly at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Also, if you're looking for someone to work with your family, Wild Heart Society offers a wide range of services from individual and group therapy to community events and family transition coaching. We would love to hear from you and continue the conversation. All of us here at Camp Wild Heart, listeners and counselors, are here to support you, so don't be a stranger. Thanks to Flint for sharing their time, skills, and energy with us. You'll be hearing from them again here in the future, but take a minute and watch some of the content they've created. 
it will give you some really powerful insights into what it might be like to be a trans adult. Thanks again for showing up here and for your kids. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for free so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us, and we want to make sure that everyone who needs us knows that there's a monk for them at Camp Wildheart. <laughs>